Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flexibility Focus, the podcast that dives deep into the science of flexibility training. In this episode, we're heading into the sphere of neuroscience, where I'll be talking about neurodynamics, which has become something of an umbrella term for mobilization of the nervous system or a collection of techniques that are purported to improve nerve mobility. And so these exercises are also known as nerve mobilizations. These nerve mobilizations are further subdivided into other named exercises, such as nerve slides, nerve glides, and tensioning techniques. And I'll talk about the differences a little bit later in the episode. The two primary terms that describe these exercises collectively, and which appear most often in the scientific literature, neurodynamics and nerve mobilizations, are synonymous with each other. So keep in mind that I will be using them interchangeably. This is a subject that a lot of you asked me to cover. So I'll be providing you with just a simple overview of neurodynamics. I'll talk a bit about some of the proposed mechanisms that have been suggested to explain how they might work, because a lot of the the reasons why things happen in human biology, especially in neuroscience, is still largely speculative, but it's well-educated speculation. I'll also talk about whether or not I think nerve mobilizations are any good for flexibility development, which will be based upon what the literature says and also my own experience as a coach. So nerve mobilizations first emerged as an adjunct to the assessment and treatment of pain syndromes in the physical therapy field between about the 1960s and the 1980s. And they really haven't changed all that much in terms of their execution during therapy since then. And the goal almost always has been threefold. Number one, to reduce pain. Number two, to increase range of motion. And number three, to improve physical function. And the underlying rationale for doing nerve mobilizations is that healthy mechanics of the nervous system are absolutely essential to pain-free and efficient posture and movement. And when I talk about the nervous system, in the framework of neurodynamics, I'm largely, but not exclusively, referring to the peripheral nervous system, which you can think of as everything belonging to the nervous system that lies outside of the brain and the spinal cord. But what exactly are mechanics of the nervous system? Well, the word mechanics gets thrown around the health and fitness sphere all the time. And it's commonly used in ways that don't correspond with what the word actually means in its original context. The term mechanics, which originates in biomechanics, the uh, field of study that examines how physical forces interact with biological organisms, refers to how neural structures respond and adapt to forces of various types and magnitudes that they experience on a daily basis. These forces include tension and compression, and in response, nerves lengthen, they shorten, and they move through the territories that they innovate, which is where the terms like sliding and gliding come from, 
because the nerves essentially slide and glide between all of these surrounding tissues. There are times when the mechanics of the nervous system are not healthy. And when that happens, we refer to them as neural pathomechanics. The patho part of that second word, pathomechanics, is derived from the Greek pathos, which is often said to mean suffering. But it also means something which happens to someone. So it can also describe an experience. But generally, in terms of neural pathomechanics, it definitely refers to an experience or a situation that causes the individual to suffer. An example of neural pathomechanics is nerve entrapment, which might arise when a peripheral nerve is caught or tethered to adjacent structures, which could be caused by localized inflammation or perhaps by uh, collagen cross-linking to neighboring myofascial tissues because nerves and myofascia are largely made up of connective tissue. And these tissues can form cross-links, which occur when collagen fibrils form strong chemical bonds with adjacent fibrils. And whenever uh, pathomechanics are present, a person might experience familiar nerve-like symptoms that can and often do include pain, numbness, weakness, tingling, and fluctuation in one's ability to sense different temperatures. The goal of neurodynamics uh, during assessment is to subject the neural structures to mechanical stimulation and to move the neural tissues in order to get an understanding of their mobility and their sensitivity to mechanical stresses. Now understand that the word mobility is used here in exactly the same way as it is used throughout most of the scientific literature when authors discuss global or full body mobility. It's this ability to move an object, usually the whole body, but in this case it's a peripheral nerve, through space from one point to another without any issues and with minimal stretching. Now that's not to say that nerves don't stretch because they certainly do, but when you move your body your nerves also move, i.e. they slide or glide through spaces in the tissues called nerve beds. And these nerve beds are tracts formed by structures that surround the nerve. And these nerve beds act like conduits or channels. And the nerve will move backwards and forwards through these spaces, much like a train moving backwards and forwards through a tunnel. And interestingly, with neurodynamics, the method of assessment is often also the method of treatment because the movements that are utilized to test for neural pathomechanics are also used to improve the mechanical and physiological function of neural tissues. These tests are frequently referred to as tension tests because they're designed or intended to move the nerves along their respective nerve beds until they are placed under tension. And tension tests involve moving the trunk and the limbs in particular patterns, and they're typically designed, or sorry, typically performed um, passively by a clinician who supports the moving limb. So they're actually a type of dynamic passive stretching, 
although they can be done by an individual on their own. And common neural structures that are targeted by these tests include number one, the neuraxis, which is the uh, central axis of the nervous system. Number two, the meninges, which are the uh, three layers of membranes surrounding the brain and spinal cord. Number three, nerve roots, which are the initial parts of nerves that exit the nervous system, the central nervous system and form the first parts of the peripheral nervous system. And number four, the peripheral nerves. And some famous examples of peripheral nerves you might have heard of include the uh, sciatic nerve and the ulnar nerve. You may also have heard the names of some of these tension tests because they're very common in physical therapy and sports rehabilitation. And some examples include the straight leg raise or SLR test and the slump test. Many of these tests have variations that are designed to direct stresses toward many specific peripheral nerves. And the current body of evidence demonstrates quite remarkably that different types of neurodynamic exercises have largely different effects on separate regions of the peripheral nerves. And the longitudinal excursion and strain associated with a particular joint movement is strongly influenced by the position or simultaneous movement of a neighboring joint. So for example, if we take the median nerve at the wrist, when the wrist extends, the median nerve moves distally by approximately nine millimeters, but the movement of the nerve increases by up to 30% or to around 13 millimeters. If when the wrist extends, the elbow is placed in flexion as well, which reduces the length of the nerve bed and decreases strain in the median nerve around the elbow. And doing this facilitates the distal movement or sliding of the nerve at the wrist. So in simple terms, when we flex the elbow, we create slack in the nerve so that there is more nerve available at the wrist for it to slide a greater distance in that region. And when one joint is uh, flexed to feed slack into the nerve bed so that the nerve can move uh, a greater distance at an adjacent joint, like when flexing the elbow and then mobilizing the wrist, the technique is often referred to as a nerve slide. When adjacent joints are placed in position so that the nerve is uh, placed under tension from one joint to another. So if you were gonna straighten the elbow and then mobilize the wrist, the, the nerve mobilization exercise is referred to as a tensioning technique or known more colloquially as a tensioner. When linking neurodynamics to uh, clinical decision-making, we need to consider the mechanics and physiology of the nervous system which have traditionally been considered to be separate fields. But in reality, uh, nervous system mechanical and physiological events are dynamically interdependent, such that, for example, a mechanical stress like tension that is applied to a nerve will subsequently cause a physiological response, like uh, changes in the rate of axonal transport. And when it comes to understanding the mechanics of the nervous system, which is a field of study increasingly referred to as neuromechanics, it's useful to think of the human body as the uh, container 
for the nervous system. Within the body, or within that container, the musculoskeletal system serves as the mechanical interface to the nervous system, meaning it is the thing through which we manipulate the forces that act upon and are generated by the nervous system. And this mechanical interface has both uh, central and uh, peripheral components, the former consisting of the uh, cranium and spinal and radicular canals, which collectively house the uh, neuraxis, cranial nerves, meninges, and nerve roots, and the latter consisting of the nerve beds in the limbs and torso, where the nerves make contact with bones, muscles, joints, and fascia. And so, as the body or the container moves, so too does the mechanical interface change its dimensions. And this in turn places forces and stresses on the neural structures. And these neural structures would otherwise experience damage if they were not adequately protected from said forces and stresses. And so to protect the nervous system against compromise caused by the dimensional changes of its container, the neural elements undergo distinct mechanical events which occur harmoniously with body movements. And these events include elongation, sliding, cross-sectional changes, angulation, and compression. And it's assumed that neural symptoms arise when these dynamic protective mechanisms fail or their tolerances are exceeded. And a, and a famous example of musculoskeletal pathomechanics that might cause neural symptoms is a herniated spinal disc, commonly and erroneously referred to as a slipped disc. And I say erroneously because discs don't slip. In terms of um, specific neuromechanical mechanisms, there are uh, two distinct features that combine to cause neuromechanical responses. They are number one, joint angulation, or changes in joint angles. And number two, the anatomical destination of the nerve. So when a joint changes its angle, which is a hallmark of the motor ability we call flexibility, the length of the nerve bed increases on the side of the axis of rotation, which increases in magnitude. Now, some people call this the opening side of the joint. And if you think about wrist flexion, the um, closing side of the joint is the anterior wrist because the angle between the hand and forearm gets smaller. So it looks like the, the joint is closing on that side. And the opening side is the posterior wrist because the angle increases and the joint essentially opens up on that side. When the joint angle increases and the length of the nerve bed increases, the nerve on the elongated side or the uh, opening side slides and lengthens in response to that joint movement. If we think about the second feature, the anatomical destination of nerves, this provides us with a second means or a second method of stressing nerves. We can transfer tension to a nerve by stressing the structure in which the nerve terminates. For example, when we do a prone knee bend test, we stretch the quadriceps muscles and this applies tension to the femoral nerve and also to the mid lumbar nerve roots. Now a common question I get asked is how come nerves can be mobilized and 
not stretched, or in simple terms, if a nerve is the same length from its origin to its termination, how can it possibly move through the nerve bed? Does it not stay as one uh, continuous length? And the answer is because nerves are not perfectly straight or uniform throughout the territories that they innovate. For example, early in the range of motion of a tension test, such as the uh, straight leg raise, the nerves are wrinkled or crinkled and they sit loosely in the nerve bed. And when movement occurs, tension is exerted on the nerves and they lose their slack, which allows them to begin to slide. So a simple analogy to help you picture this phenomenon is to imagine a length of string that isn't pulled taut. It's loose and it's wavy and you hold one end in one hand, which would be the nerve root at the uh, spinal cord and you pull on the other end with the other hand which would be the terminal branch of the peripheral nerve and when you do that you take the slack out of the string which represents the nerve and then you can kind of move it backwards and forwards which represents the nerve moving through the nerve bed as you're doing this until you reach a point when the nerve is fully straightened out and it's placed on full tension and tension increases markedly towards the end of range of motion simply because there's little to no available slack and the amount of available nerve sliding becomes depleted. Now it's important to note that nerves are exposed to different types and sizes of forces all along their course as they make contact with various neighboring structures like bone, muscle, and fascia. For example, when the fingers flex, the ulnar nerve is compressed because the nerve passes under the flexor carpi ulnaris muscle. And pressure on nerves also increases during static passive and dynamic passive stretching, which can help to explain um, why someone might experience tingling or numbness if they hold a passive stretch with a high level of intensity or for a long period of time. Pressure also increases when joints are positioned in a way which uh, limits the available space in the uh, adjacent nerve tunnel. For example, when you flex your elbow, pressure around the ulnar nerve in the cubital tunnel increases by up to four times. And a common error that people make is believing that nerves always slide in one direction during movement. They tend to think that nerves slide in a proximal to distal direction. Um, but if we were to lay on our back and flex one hip with a bent knee and then extend the knee so the leg is straight, the sciatic nerve experiences distal movement towards the knee joint, but the tibial nerve slides proximally towards the uh, knee joint. If you want the nerves at the knee to slide towards the ankle, which would be a proximal to distal direction for the tibial nerve, we have to perform dorsiflexion of the ankle and the foot. So that gives you some idea of what neurodynamics are, but you know, and, and, but how do they work exactly? Uh, and how well do they work? So much of the answers to these questions depends largely on the type of nerve mobilization technique, because different techniques have markedly different mechanical effects on the peripheral nervous system. 
and some may be safer and more effective than others when treating different neuropathologies. For example, a nerve mobilization in which adjacent joints are kept in position, uh, positions which uh, feed slack into the nerve bed and thus decrease the overall stress imposed on the nerve may be less aggressive and therefore a much more appropriate option for dealing with acute injuries, post-surgery management and situations which might cause nerve irritation and entrapment. Whereas if we place all the joints in positions such that maximal tension is placed on the nerve when doing tensioners or tension techniques, this can reduce intraneural swelling and compromise circulation by um, fluctuating the intraneural pressure, meaning we're creating this dynamic pumping action which has beneficial effects on nerve hydration. And this in turn can enhance the uh, dispersal of local inflammatory products that are floating in and around nerves, which you can think of as a kind of inflammatory soup that contains fluids and cells like enzymes, acids, prostaglandins, histamines, and macrophages. And this inflammatory soup creates an acidic environment which is known to enhance peripheral nerve sensitivity. And inflamed nerves are also immunoreactive with pro-inflammatory cytokines capable of producing spontaneous discharges in sensory fibers by forming their own ion channels, all of which can increase subjective sensations of pain. So nerve mobilizations, therefore, can help to reduce pain by decreasing all of these inflammatory events. And when pain goes down, range of motion goes up. And there's research which suggests that neurodynamics can uh, limit the activity of fibroblasts and minimize scar formation by doing them early into the rehabilitation process, which is based upon how the mesoneural layer of the nerve responds to these exercises. And the mesoneural layer is the layer of nerve that allows for the expansion and the contraction of nerve length. So by including nerve mobilizations into treatment, um, you know, they might be useful in preventing post-operative tissue adhesions, and they may decrease congestion in the veins and also lower endoneural fluid pressure, uh, which helps with pain management and Managing pain is an important step in injury rehabilitation. Nerve mobilizations may also increase flexibility because of stretch tolerance, which basically means they allow us to better tolerate the discomfort of moving into range of motion, ranges of motion, which are new or which we haven't experienced for a very long time. And through repeated exposure, to those ranges of motion, we reduce sensitivity and thus lower the threat value of the new range. So uh, displaying greater flexibility becomes easier. For people who are living with chronic pain, nerve mobilizations can help them to access larger ranges of motion using non-aggressive movement, thus allowing movement to be presented to the brain in novel ways and this can subsequently uncouple learnt, expectation, uh, learnt expectations of pain, which means they can begin to disassociate kinesiophobic beliefs from physical movements. 
And all of this feeds into a positive feedback loop in which they're able to perform larger and larger joint motions without pain. And their fear of movement subsequently decreases and this remaps the representations of the movement within the motor cortex. And the literature seems to support these assertions for the effectiveness of nerve mobilizations. For example, in a 2017 systematic review and meta-analysis by uh, Besson and colleagues, um, and this examined the uh, effectiveness of nerve mobilizations for uh, neuromusculoskeletal conditions. The research team found them to be useful for managing nerve-related pain in regions like the, the low back, the neck, the arm, uh, the plantar heel, and the tarsal tunnel. Um, however, while in this systematic review, the authors reported that nerve mobilizations were not particularly effective for treating carpal tunnel syndrome, there were positive neurophysiological effects like some of the ones I've discussed in this episode, um, experienced in all groups that undertook nerve mobilizations. But how do nerve mobilizations compare to other types of stretching in people who are not coping with injuries or who are not in pain? Um, In particular, how does it affect flexibility in people who just want to improve range of motion? Well, in a 2019 systematic review and meta-analysis by Lopez and colleagues, and it was in, I think, the journal Physical Therapy and Sport, they looked at the effects of nerve mobilizations on hamstring flexibility. And they concluded that nerve mobilizations are superior than other methods of stretching. But when you read the full article, it turns out that the studies they included in this review weren't great. For example... um, in, in one study, hamstring nerve mobilizations were, concern, were compared to uh, muscle inhibition techniques applied to the neck musculature, which makes little sense in terms of how that would demonstrate efficacy since the latter, the, um, the muscle inhibition technique applied to the neck, doesn't directly target the hamstrings. And I think it goes without saying that nerve mobilizations don't just affect the nerves, but They also affect other localized structures that contribute to range of motion too, like the muscle, the fascia, the tendons, and the skin. And generally speaking, there appears to be a temporal factor to the effectiveness of nerve mobilizations for flexibility. And by this, I mean that they appear to be slightly superior for creating acute or short-term increases in range of motion, but they're not very good for bringing about long-term changes in flexibility. For example, in a 2009 randomized control trial, uh, which was conducted by Faison and colleagues, and I think that was in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, they the researchers compared the uh, straight leg raise nerve mobilization to other types of stretching. That included static active stretching, otherwise known as proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation or PNF and they also compared it against static passive stretching. What they found in this um, eight-week clinical trial was that in the first four weeks the nerve mobilization intervention was better than static active aka PNF stretching but in the second four-week period hamstring flexibility um, actually decreased with the nerve mobilizations 
And if you wanted to know which method of stretching provided the greatest benefits overall, it was the static passive stretching group, which is a common theme throughout the literature. And it's funny because I see all the time people on social media posting and commenting that static passive stretching isn't great for flexibility. Um, whereas in reality, reality, what they should be saying is that it either doesn't work very well for them or they're probably not using it correctly. So do I use nerve mobilizations? Not really. I don't use them in my own training um, and I only prescribe them for clients if they are experiencing symptoms that are evoked when we do the nerve tension tests. And even then, they're treated as a short-term intervention. And once the symptoms disappear, we'll remove them from the training program completely. So there we have my brief take on neurodynamics. This is, uh, sorry, you know, there's uh, more to this subject than what I've covered here, but I did say it would be a simple overview. And this episode was really just to tell you um, some of the theory behind them and how I approach these exercises based on my um, experience and interpretation of the literature. Like anything, nerve mobilizations can be useful in some situations. They can be pretty pointless in other situations. So just treat them like you would any other exercise. They are a tool that you can use if and when you need so that you can get the job done. But don't hold your breath for making long-term changes in flexibility by using nerve mobilizations. You still need to spend time in positions, building tension in those positions to become flexible. Let me know your thoughts or any suggestions you have for subjects you'd like me to cover in future episodes, either by sending me an email to dan at flexibilityresearch.com or leave a comment if you're watching this on YouTube. If you found this or other episodes of the show useful, please spare a moment and uh, leave a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts on. Share it with your friends or like and subscribe if you're doing the whole YouTube thing. Until next time, stay flexible.